0: Father, we, are, we have sang and we have repeated so many times today is <clears throat> you are faithful. You are faithful when we are not. You are faithful when we can't be. When we don't have the abilities, Father. You, you empower us and everything that we do that would be good would be empowered by you. Father, we gather here because of your faithfulness we ask you to keep your promises. We hold your promises up before you. and When you say, when two or three are gathered in your name, we'll be there. Father, we ask your spirit to be here, to empower your word. Father, I ask that my words be used for your glory, for your saints, and for your people that you love. I, I ask that Today would be a day that would increase all our delight in you and help us dance in our walk. In these things we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. I discussed with Ron earlier or last night is that I'm not quite bad this. Um, I am jealous at times for the, uh, the liturgical format in some older church environments and many here know uh, what I'm talking about is that anytime the, the word of God is read the congregation has a response. There is always a reading and a response. Anytime God's word is read or heard it requires a response. Um, I'm going to ask everyone to work with me this morning. (laughs) Is that after we read God's word, I ask the whole congregation to respond, Praise be to God. Let's try this out one time. We'll practice. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be to God. Praise (laughs) God. Remember to do that to Justin if he gets back. You'd love to fall through the windows. <laughs> <clears throat> this morning, the text is Psalm 143. You can uh, open your own Bibles. And Do we have the words on the screen. <clears throat> or just join in and look on the screen. <clears throat> Hear my prayer, Lord. Give ears to my plea for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul, he has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched lamb. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me to know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O oh Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. <coughs> For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. These are the very words of God. (laughs) The set of context and place with this psalm. Uh, many commentators and his stories will take this psalm and say it is set with when David is running from Absalom, his own son, when he was, he was, you know, the monarchy had been overthrown. And so you can pick up the story in 2 Samuel. Um, there is no absolute knowing that, that that's where this is. And that's one of the things that I love about the Psalms, and we—they are such a gift to us—is that they can, if we don't know the exact context, they can be applied liberally to many circumstances in our life. Whether it is our crying out to God in praise or our crying out to God in need. and David wrote this psalm um, while well, he was in the desert of his life. It's one of the things that it helps us when we take God's word and put it in the context and place and time of the people. As the Hebrew people were a desert people originally and if you go to Israel about 70% of the land is all desert. And God brought them from the desert. But he also takes them back to the desert on occasion so they may draw near to him and see their need for him. And many times in our own life, I know in my own, God has taken me to the desert to show my inability and my total dependence on him in the places that in my foolishness thought that I got this. Uh, He showed me I didn't have anything. The only thing I had was him. I know uh, a good place to look at this is Jeremiah 17. And you'll recognize this text when I read it. I want to bring some things out with it. Just to set a set of context. Is, Thus says the Lord: Cursed is the man who trusts in man and trusts in his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert, and shall see no good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. I don't know how many here this morning want to be careful and sensitive that I know many of you are in a desert right now whether it's a small desert or a large desert there's times that it feels like God's absence whether it be physical or spiritual or just an emotional need that we may have or Something in our life that is really touching upon us. But I'd like to ask, how is your prayer life? Are the circumstances in life sending you to God or the running, making you run away from God? As I said, God takes His people and He brings the desert to make us run back to Him it has been a hard lesson in my life is to run back to him instead of run away from him. When you want to draw near to God, he always says go to the desert. That is my land. Your land is the promised land. Egypt is the Pharaoh's land, but the desert, that belongs to me. And the further you go into the desert, the more you'll see me. I'm jealous for everyone's prayer life. Including I mean I'd love to see my own prayer life increase. And I'm jealous for all Christians to have a prayer life. Especially the, the condition this country is in. Not only just to pray for change and for revival, but just for our hearts to be revived. To see joy in the lives of Christians despite circumstances. I'm going to make a statement, and I'll premise it with a warning. It may be a little bit offensive. I remember years ago when I first became a Christian, there was a pastor by the name of Sal Saberna um, who made a statement that stuck with me and has never left me. He said, no matter the circumstances in life, you either talk it out with God or you're going to take it out drinking. You're going to take it out drugging. You're going to take it out sexing today in our psalm, we see David in a desert. He's talking it out with God. In the opening lines, if you'll put your eyes on the text. In verse 1 and verse 2. Hear my prayer. O oh, Lord, is uh, I told Josh earlier. I think he already preached my sermon in his prayer. <clears throat> David's song gives us a model for prayer that is very wise to follow. The first thing he does is he states who God is his faithfulness. Actually, even the, the literary structure of this psalm starts with God's faithfulness and who God is, and it ends with God's faithfulness and who he is. And everything in between is his supplication. He is constantly reminding himself and stating who God is. It is uh, very similar to what we've done in our service this morning. We went to God And praise—we praise Him for who He is. Knowing that, as a reminder, I know Justin has spoken this before. Uh, David appeals in his prayer to the Lord and for those who are not familiar with the biblical text anytime you see that L-O-R-D in all caps, that is the name Yahweh, the personal name for God is uh, Joshua's praise, the, the sovereign, the eternal one, the unmoved first cause of all creation the one who stepped out on the front porch of heaven at the dawn of time and Spoke and the wor- world came into being, the universe came into being. That sounds almost very light, but the fact that we can go to God in prayer, we can go to this God, is a blood bought privilege that was paid for by Christ. Excuse me. But anytime we go to God, we need to be reminded of who He is. Um, If anyone, a good acronym for prayer is ACTS, A C T. Uh, We go to God in attrition, we go to God, and then we can, after we see who He is, we confess who we are, and then. We give thanks for what He has done. The second point this morning, if you'll put your eyes on verse 2. David says, Enter not do judgment with your servant, for no one is living. No one living is righteous before you. But when we go to God and we see who He is, we see the Eternal One, the Holy One, then we see who we are in a clear light. We see our worthiness. We see our own sinfulness. And David is giving a confession here. And it it's not a... Uh, it's not the cultural cliche that nobody's perfect. More often than not, when someone you hear that is someone is actually trying to give justification for their own sin by comparing themselves to other men. David is comparing himself to God and who he is as he stands in front of him. And it's an honest assessment of the plight of sinful mankind who is standing in the presence of the Holy God. As we were reminded in the words of the Apostle Paul, no one is righteous, no not one all have fallen is fall short of the glory of God. Point three. In light of who God is and who we are, we need to learn to be real God. Um, Probably one of the uh, greatest rebukes I ever had for my prayer life was by someone who was not a Christian. He was a Jew, an Orthodox Jew. He said, you know why God doesn't answer a lot of your prayers? He said, you pray like a well. To some extent, I'll, I'll take that rebuke, and, take it to heart. And we are reluctant at times to tell God what we're really feeling and what we're really thinking. It's, uh, it's like, you know, we're, we sit and we think, oh, well, we think God doesn't really know. It's like, oh Lord, you know. I'm... So please, please hear and heal Aunt Sally, if it be your will. That's not what we're thinking. We're thinking, Lord, I need you to heal her. You need to heal her, please. I'm losing my mind. Things are going insane. We have so much going on in the family right now. You see David giving these honest cries to God so many times, over and over. You see it throughout Scripture that those who have the closest walk with God are always those who are the most honest with God. Anyone from Abraham to Job to Paul? Paul asking for his thorn, God to relieve him of the thorn in his flesh. The prayers of David again. That I want to read verse three through eight. For the enemy has pursued my soul; he has crushed my life to ground. He has made me to sit in darkness, like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is palled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched lamb. Answer me quickly, O oh Lord, and my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me. Least I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. For I trust in you. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. The New Testament, we are told to come boldly to the song. Many times we, I know with myself, is very true, I, I cringe back from God. even when I've had a failure. How many failures are here this morning? How many times have you sinned this morning, this week? I don't think I made it out of the house In our failures, God is faithful. That if you know, we fight sin, <coughs> we're going to fail. But God is faithful. He said, I remember the days of old. He remembers God's faithfulness here. And He, as I've stated before, has earned us the right and the privilege to come before Him in repentance to ask for help. There's a, a concept that I would I want to be careful how i bring this across, but um, where's Roberta? Is she not here this morning? There she is. Uh, Roberta will know what I'm talking about. The word huxpa. Um It actually comes it's, in our day and time, the word hookspa is actually <coughs> taking on a Negative connotation. But the root word in the the Hebrew is an undying persistence, a holy boldness, an impetuousness. And you see this throughout scripture. Abraham, when he goes to well when God actually comes to him and he's he's asking him to spare Sodom Lord. If there's 50 that there week. Well, if there's ten. And he goes on and on and on. And he argues with God. Respectfully, humbly. But still he has a boldness. In uh, <clears throat> Matthew 15, the uh, Phoenician woman, when she goes to Jesus, I mean, this is a Gentile. Not a Jew. She goes to Jesus and says, You know, my my daughter is demon possessed. Will you please help? And Jesus says, You know, you don't give to the dogs what is holy. She responds, But even the dogs eat crumbs off the children's table. And Jesus applauds her. He says, Great is her faith. This is not even a Jew. This is a Gentile. Sometimes we as God's people, we don't come boldly enough. We're not desperate enough for God. We are not desperate enough to see Him move and really want to see His glory revealed. In Luke 18, Jesus tells the, <clears throat> the parable of the unwavering persistence I talked about of the widow who goes before the unjust judge over and over and over and over and over. And the judge finally says, okay, I'll do it. I mean, just, just get, get away. I don't want to hear it no more. It's, you're going to drive me crazy. And Jesus says, well, you know, if an unjust, unrighteous man is that way, how much more willing as God, a holy, righteous God to answer and to give justice. But along with being honest and real with God, we need to be real and acknowledge our need for help. David admits here in the psalm that verse 6, it says, I stretch out my hand to you, and my soul thirsts for you like a parched land." David's in a desert. He knows he needs help. He says, answer me quickly, Lord, as my spirit fails. David's not only... Crying out. He says, My spirit, because he's not only crying out for his physical circumstances or where he is or the fact that he is running from his own son, maybe. Someone's trying to kill him. He's actually really being honest with God what his spirit is like right now. He says, My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me. At least I be like those who go down to the pit. I don't know about anyone here, but many times I have felt like my spirit was going to fail. I thought I was going to, I really felt like I was dying. Spiritually, I was dead. No matter what I did, I mean, march around the house three or four times. <laughs> praying, blowing a horn, uh, asking for prayer. God showed me what it was like when he steps back just a little bit and his presence in there and I missed it. Made me ever more grateful to it when he came. The, um, this is a, a good place to really get something across is that especially when we read the Scripture, we need to understand there is a difference. We as Christians, we all have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. But there is a difference between God's omnipresence, everywhere, His indwelling presence, and His manifest presence. David is asking for a manifest presence. He knows what it's like to see His Spirit manifest. You know, like the warrior David, who has took, <clears throat> God has took him through many battles. He's given him praise and the glory for all, all the battles he has won. He knows what it's like to be anointed by God. We all know what that's like. To some extent. We have these days that it seems like God is right with us, walking with us. We're we're kicking sin's butt. We're delighted in everything and the things of God. We, We have so much joy. And then God takes a step back. Or we take a step away. We get accustomed to thinking that we don't need God or this is just us we're we're doing all this on our own and God shows us he is very faithful to show us our need and second we absolutely need God to live our holy lives in verse 8, he says, Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me to know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. You put your eyes on the, the words there, way, make me know the way. You know the translations in other places. The same word is path. It's also statutes let me know your will that I can walk in your will would be a a loose paraphrase Uh, Psalms 23 actually restates this another way Yea, though know I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I should feel no evil. My heart fails. It leads me in the paths in the way of righteousness. I'm going to make a mental note of that word way or the path. We'll come back to it in a little while. again, I cannot repeat this enough, and I cannot remind myself enough, is that we appeal to God on the basis of who He is, what He has done, and His promises of what He will do. In verse 5, if you go back up, as I remember the days of old, I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder on the work of your hands. David's actually, he's not referring to a personal circumstance, he's actually referring to the Exodus. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God is always reminding them and saying go back, listen, look, remember what I did. He's referring back to the ex- Exodus all the time. Either that or he actually call it, says, I am the God of Abraham, Jacob, the promises. He's reminding them of the promises to Abraham and to the line of Abraham over and over and over and see actually in Deuteronomy 32 it says he found them in a desert land in a howling wilderness he encircled them and he cared for them and kept them as an apple of his eye it says, remember the days of old. It's the exact same thing David just said. Remember the days of old. Consider the many years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. Now, again, make a mental note remember that. Verse. But David and their Old Testament saints, they look back to what God had done. Again, I mentioned Abraham to what God was going to do. What the promises he had made to Abraham and to what he would do. They look forward to the cross. We constantly should be meditating on what God has done and what he has promised. How does this apply today? How does it apply to our lives? Is that we look back to the cross and we look forward to heaven. We look on what God has done and what He has promised to do. We go to His character and nature. And He is faithful to keep His promises. That is the fight of faith. That is for the fighters in the room who fight the fight of faith. Who want to believe God over their own feelings or what we may perceive is going on around us. A good example is even if you go to the Exodus and look at how the Exodus is structured and everything that's going on, there's three times in... Uh, scripture, it refers to the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites. It's only three times. They weren't wandering. God knew exactly where they were going. I don't know how many times, it's multiple, multiple times it says, God says, I led you. I led you like a bride. Remember the days when we were close and we walked through the desert and I led you. No matter our circumstances and we find ourselves in, it is a fight for faith to remember that God is leading us. We are not just wondering lost. It doesn't matter that whether or not it's the loss of a job, loss of a loved one, a health crisis. I don't speak lightly of that. I've been in my own deserts. And I really feel for a lot of the people that are here. How chronic pain. It doesn't matter if it's three in the morning and our demons are walking up the walls. You're being led by God. And we appeal to God on the basis of who He is, what He has done, what He has promised to do. Verse 11 says, For your name's sake. We are called by His name. It's not anything we bring, anything we do, it's not our faithfulness. It's His faithfulness to us. We are called by His name. We are His people. And He is jealous for His people. again, David goes back to God's character and says, "In Your steadfast love cut off my enemies. This prayer has been very real in my life and has hit home in fighting sin in the past two or three weeks of how God has dealt with me on this and that the enemies of my own soul was more often than not my own flesh. And we, we fight the world We fight Satan, spiritual forces, but more often than not, Satan uses the temptations of our own flesh, lust, covetousness, our selfish pride that wants to get angry, Um, whether it be major instances within our personal life, or just... The wilderness wanderings of trying to get down Hendersville Road at 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Uh, I have to repent all day Saturday for that. And I forget that God's leading me through that traffic and He's got a plan and a purpose. Break it. That's a confession, it's not a testimony. <laughs> One thing I want to see how I want you to see how verse eight and ten ties specifically to verse eleven and twelve. Now I'm gonna go to the New Testament to Jesus' words. Let me read eight and ten and eleven and twelve again. Let me hear in the morning your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me to know the way, or your path, or your statutes, and the way I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Another translation we could use for level ground is righteous ground. Very easy to just make that transition. It's in the Hebrew. It's a metaphor for walking a path—a path that's not full of hills and valleys, but is a righteous walk on a straight path remember the road is narrow and someone else might remember the, uh, the way of straight, the straight way. And he said, I'm going to go to the New Testament and see if you can track with me here for a minute and how the path and our walk And a righteous walk brings us all together in Christ. Matthew 11, 27 through 30. Again, you can write this down. You don't have to go there. Just go back to it later. Matthew 11, verse 27 through 30. All things have been handed over to me by the Father. This is Jesus speaking. And no one knows the Son except for the Father. And no one knows the Father except for the Son. And anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. For I am gentle. And lowly of heart. For you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I believe everyone's familiar with that. Do you know where Jesus got those words? He's quoting himself. He's actually quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting his own words. go back to um, Exodus 33 13-14 through 14. It is now therefore, this is Moses if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways and that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight consider too that this nation is your people Again, that's just like David saying, We're called by your name. But here's the, the quote that Christ uses in, in Matthew. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. For those of you in the room who like to do apologetics, and if anyone ever comes to you and says, Jesus never made an explicit claim to deity, he did it many times. But he did it like a Jew. He quoted his text. he would go back and quote the text over and over and over and over. And you see these, and if you look at some of these things, even like John 858, when they, he made a claim like this, when he said, "I am, "I am the I am," and they tried to stone him. They knew exactly what he was claiming to be, who he says he was he is. But again, back to our paths and our righteousness. And I should make a distinction between positional righteousness with God that is found in Christ. For all those who turn from their sin to Him for Christ's righteousness. I'm referring to our holy walk, our, our pursuit of killing sin. Jeremiah six sixteen says, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. In Matthew 11, Jesus makes two claims to deity right there, back to back. He also claims to be the new and better Moses in, in that same text. As I said, I was going to tie verses 8 and 10 to 11 and 12. Make me to know the way I should go, the path in which I should walk. Teach me to do your will or God's desires. 11 and 12, for your namesake, preserve my life. and in your steadfast love cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul for I am your servant. It's through the person and work of Christ His death, His perfect life actually, His perfect life, His death, His burial, and His resurrection and His setting beside the Father at His right hand pleading for us praying for us. That is the promises of God. He is, as we have stated, I, I almost said there's no reason to preach the sermon this morning. We already sang it and we already prayed it. Is it do we, how do we know the way we should go? The path we should walk? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the path. He gives us a position with the Father. And even, David even says here, he is covered. He's covered himself in Christ. As a reminder again, we look back to the cross and who we are in Christ. Our union with Christ. That we are seated with him at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians 1 and 2. And he says, I chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to convict you. I'm going to discipline you. And we may go to the desert sometimes. But it's only because I want to walk with you. And I want to talk with you. As we come boldly yet humbly before God, again, remember it is a blood-bought privilege. And it costs a lot for that privilege to come before God. As we were separated from God and Adam, The new Adam gives us life and brings us back to union with Him. As I like to hear, John Piper, I, can, I never get tired of hearing priests, that God is the gospel. He is the good news. We get God. Heaven's not going to be here on earth, but we get a taste of it with His indwelling presence. It costs a lot for us to be able to call God Father that spirit within us that cries out Abba but the greatest thing is he gives a promise to help us walk and to get us to the promised land and to show us the right paths the righteous paths in the way we should walk, where we should go, how we are to do these things. As uh, Justin said the other day, uh, caught him in the sermon, he said, you know, it's just too good to be true. There are many things about Christian life that's just too good to be true. But they are. And if we'll uh, pray with you one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. For your comfort. <clears throat> Where would we be without. Your word to remind us. Your Holy Spirit working with us. Working through your word. It gives us hope. And Father we thank you and we give praise for. The saints of old, and the examples they have set. Father, we seek glad for their honesty in their failures. Father, it is an amazing thing that throughout Scripture we only see one hero. There is only one who wins the battle, and that is Christ. Everybody else failed. Father, we give our allegiance to you. We cry out and we ask for help. And we need you. We need you in our spiritual walk. We need your direction. Father, give us grace. Give us mercy to humble ourselves before you. Before you have to humble us. Father, give us the grace to humble ourselves to come to you and to walk with you. And to remember Your grace and Your mercy, and the dance and delight in who You are, and the privilege we have as Your children, and all these things, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.